Good morning. We are speaking for the next few minutes with one of the editors of Mental Floss, the book, The Greatest Lists in the History of Listery. And Ethan Trex is one of the editors of this really fun paperback from HarperCollins, which represents a full decade of uh, what has been around on uh, this website known as Mental Floss. Uh, Ethan Trex, we welcome you to the morning show. Good morning, Greg. How are you? I'm just fine. Uh, So... Tell us how somebody gets a gig like this. I mean, uh, dealing in the wonderful world of listery. Oh, you gotta you gotta read a lot and get really good at writing down numbers and then writing paragraphs after them. Uh, just uh, we are all huge trivia buffs and just love going out and finding the weirdest, most fun, most informative stories we possibly can and bring them to our readers. And how do you go about doing that? I mean, on kind of a typical search and search and secure sort of mission uh what kinds of places do you go looking for these this kind of offbeat information uh there is nothing more amazing than google's newspaper archives that you can just go through because you'll be looking for one thing and you'll find some paper from 1973 and you'll think all right well this isn't exactly what i needed but the adjacent story will be something insane so you can just sort of some through old sources, and then you start finding more and more fascinating stuff. If you read anything long enough, you're going to find a really good story. So compare this book, uh, Mental Floss, the book, uh, to the actual website, which in a, in a sense has spawned it. Is this sort of a greatest hits collection, a, a fairly representative sort of sampling, kind of a random sampling? What is the relationship between the website and this really fascinating, fun book? website and we actually started as a magazine we still have our bi-monthly magazine that's sort of our flagship um so after 10 years of doing both the website and the magazine we had just a huge archive of these great lists and we kind of wanted to pull the best of them out and get those back out there to people so they could see you know if we wrote something that we really loved seven years ago people probably haven't seen it since so we wanted to pull it out of the archives and let people see what our best stuff was can you s- can you say a word about this great title, Mental Floss? Do you know anything about who exactly came up with that? Were you part of that decision? No, I was not. Our magazine was founded at uh, Duke University in 2001. It was founded in a dorm room by uh, two students, and uh, they came up with the name, and it's, it's catchy. People remember it. It's great. But I don't know exactly how they did come up with it. It is a great name. It, in a sense, is really fitting. It's, it seems like a, a very nice, easy, entertaining mental workout. I mean, you've done yourself some good when you've done some reading through Mental Floss. That's what, that's what we like to say. That you, If you read it, you'll pick it up, you'll be entertained. There's a lot of jokes in it. It's fun. And you'll learn a lot, but you won't feel like you're reading something dry and scholarly. You'll be smarter without knowing it. Very good. Um, so I, I have a couple of favorites that I'm going to uh, ask you about, if you like, and then I'll give you a chance to highlight a couple of your favorite lists that are, are part of this. Um, I thought in the uh, the first chapter called Cheat Sheets for Impressing a Diplomat, President, or Pope, I, I actually found myself rather rapidly skimming past the stuff related to politics and found myself instead most interested in five secrets of the Vatican being exposed. I learned some things here that I, I absolutely never heard of before. What was that? Well, for one thing, that there's a high crime rate at uh, the Vatican. I mean, the highest crime rate in the world. 
Never knew that till I read right. Mental Floss. Right. I mean, that's almost a math thing, because not that many people live there, but lots of people go to the Vatican as tourists or go there to go to Mass. So it's pickpocket central, apparently. Evidently. Like uh, 1.5 crimes each year per citizen of the Vatican, which is insane. Hmm. A lot of the lists here are, are kind of crazy off-the-wall lists, but uh, some of them really contain really good, solid, equally fascinating information. For instance, I really like the last list in the second chapter, lists that should come with a lab coat, which are all lists related to scientific matters of one kind or another. And the final list in that uh, chapter is Five Ways Museums Detect Forgeries. It's the kind of thing we we know somebody knows a lot about, but typically it isn't us who knows very much about how that's done. Oh, that stuff is fascinating. My favorite thing in that list is that when people are trying to verify that an old painting is real, you can look at these little cracks in the paint, and it's they don't crack randomly, so they crack in very specific ways. And if it's real, it will be cracked one way, and if it's fake, it will be cracked another. It's just so cool to look at. Absolutely. Never never knew that. I also, as, as someone who is uh, in in the middle of his life, uh, been uh, sort of rebitten by the Crayola crayon bug, I enjoyed reading about some of the retired Crayola crayons over the years and the reason why some of their colors have been retired over the years. Fun stuff. Yeah, uh, Prussian blue used to be a really popular crayon, but then I guess in the uh, late 50s, after Prussia hadn't been a country for a long time, Crayola realized kids didn't know where Prussia was, so they changed it to midnight blue, which is a little less exciting. Right, and of course it's interesting to read about uh, how, understandably, Crayola uh, felt compelled at some point, I think you say in the early 60s, to uh, change the Crayola that, that had been called flesh, to peach. Because, of course, Crayola knew as well as all of the rest of us knew that flesh comes in all kinds of different colors. Uh, lots right. of interesting uh, information like that in this book. Why don't you tell us a couple of your favorite lists that we should seek out? Oh, one of my favorite ones is uh, we have a piece on five famous actors and the roles they turn down because it's just amazing to think about these really famous movies what they would have been like if they'd gotten their original casting choices. Like in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, they originally wanted Sean Connery to play Gandalf, and New Line Cinema, who was producing the movie, wanted him so badly, they offered him 15% of the worldwide growth on the movie if he would take it, and he still turned it down, and obviously Ian McKellen played the part. If wow. he'd taken it, he would have gotten $400 million. It would have been the most lucrative role any actor had ever played. Incredible. <laughs> that just kind of makes you stop and shake your head, doesn't it? I mean, we just can't yeah. reimagine that. At that, point, at that point, you can barely even conceive of how much money that is. So I guess he's probably not kicking himself too hard. I mean, he was James Bond. He still has that going for him. Right. And, uh, of course, it, you, you talk about other celebrities, about uh, famous books and what they were almost called, um, fun little things about children and babies, all kinds of things found in this fascinating book called Mental Floss, the book. Only the greatest lists in the history of listry. This is a paperback from HarperCollins. And um, I had great fun reading this, uh, Ethan Trex, and look forward to reading it again. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, Greg.